Well, good morning. <clears throat> this morning, as we gather as a church, God, through His church throughout the world, is affirming us all in the Scriptures today, specifically, obviously, as we've heard, of, of His understanding of marriage, of His understanding of married life, married love. And we hear in our first reading from the book of Genesis, it says here, you know, right off the bat, it says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Basically, what this right off the bat says to all of us is that we aren't created to be antisocial. We're created to be social creatures. We are created for communion with each other. So God's saying it's not good for us to be alone, meaning the maker, the designer who made you and I is telling us we're created for communion. So anything that gets in the way of communion is going to be a threat to our fulfillment and our happiness. So anything that gets in the way of communion between myself and you just as friends or family or you and a co-worker or you and your spouse or you and your children, anything that threatens communion is not of God. And as we go on, it says, God says, I will make a suitable partner for him. So what God's saying is, specifically in his definition of marriage, life, love, and family, for Adam to commune, he needs a, a partner that is suitable for him. Meaning what? Meaning that this other has the capacity to love him with their personhood. And to be a person, you have to have, at least a human person, has a body and a soul. So for Adam to enter into communion with his spouse, that spouse has to have a body and soul that is complementary to himself. You know, there has to be complementarity between the spouses for there to be communion. And so... It's not good for the man to be alone, meaning we're called to communion, we're social creatures. But specifically in the area of marriage, in order for us to commune as persons, there has to be a complementarity spiritually and physically. And so we go on. It says here, God created all these animals. He named the animals. And He had Adam name the animals. So what's the truth being communicated here to us? God's naming the animals, or He's having Adam name the animals. God is helping Adam to realize that he's a person and not an animal. Remember, this is the first experience of creation. Adam needs to know that he's different than the animals. So in order to know you're different, God has him experience creatures different than himself. The animals very much are creatures of instinct. They act simply by what they experience. You know, I see your dog sees a steak. It's not like pondering, should I eat it or not? You put a piece of steak down, you know, you can train a dog, but if they're really hungry, they don't really care. <laughs> They're going after the steak. And God's trying to teach Adam that 
Adam, you're different than the animals, so I want you to name the animals. Meaning, remember, Adam's trying to find a suitable partner. So before God gives Adam Eve, he has to prepare Adam for the reception of Eve. So how does God prepare Adam for Eve? He helps Adam to reflect on how he's distinct from the rest of the created order, the animal world. And how's Adam different than the animals? You and I, like Adam and Eve, have an interior life. We have an intellect ordered toward the truth, capacity to think. The proper object of the intellect is truth. A will, which gives us the capacity to choose. The will is ordered toward the good. The intellect's ordered toward truth. The will's ordered toward the good. So God is saying to Adam, you're different than the animals. In that when you see a steak, you can use your intellect to reflect on whether or not you should choose it or not. For the sake of love. When you are driving, I know I use this driving example a lot, it must be because I had the problem. When you're driving and someone's driving slow, and the speed limit's 45 and you're already going 50, and you're up on their bumper, I can use my intellect to reflect on whether or not it's prudent to get into the passing lane and blow by them or not. So animals can't do that. We are creatures that have an interior life with the capacity to look at the exterior world, process it interiorly, and choose how we will act upon it or not. So where here do we draw the line of how we act or don't act? We reflect with our reason what God has stamped into the natural order and we cooperate with God's design as He designed it and created nature. As He made us and as He made us to think, made us to act, made us to speak. There are ways that if you act and think and speak, those are contrary to how you're made. That's what we call sin. Sin is when I choose to act contrary to God's design and order. And sin always has consequences. If not immediately, it will always have consequences in my life, eventually. So as we go on, God brought Adam, Eve, and finally, now he's, you know, it's kind of like, now he's ready. Okay, he knows he's different. Now he's ready for Eve. So God gives Eve to Adam, and Adam receives Eve, knowing he's different than the animals, because Adam has to use his intellect to reflect on the beauty and goodness and preciousness of Eve, so that he can properly act toward Eve in a way that's going to love her and not use her in a way that's going to respect her, in a way that's going to treat her as one of equal dignity, equal dignity to himself. And so we, we look at this here. At the bottom it says, that's why a man leaves father and mother, clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So God, not man, established the laws of marriage. God, not man, established the law of marriage. 
The law of marriage between husband and wife, man and woman, male and female, is stamped in the order of creation. We are free to cooperate with it or not. When we fail to cooperate with God's design and plan, there are always consequences and ramifications, personally, individually, and socially. There will always be consequences to an action contrary to God's natural design and order. And that's what we call sin. Sin leads to the destruction of communion. The first part, it's not good for a man to be alone. We're called to communion. An action that doesn't serve God's design, order, and plan will always destroy communion. And so this is where, in our church today, as we look at certain issues in our society regarding gay marriage, the homosexuality of behaviors that are homosexual, and behaviors where we are being told that, does it really matter that man and woman marry, or man and man, or woman and woman, does it matter? God says it does. So what do we do? Is it just that the Bible's outdated? Or is the Bible maybe God's Word? Is the Bible an opinion? Another way of giving an option to living? Or is it God's Word? We all have to make choices to whom we'll be obedient to. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God. You can't make God first and also have money first. You can't make your career first and also God first. You can't even make God first and your country first. You can't even make God first and you first. We all have to say, God, you are my authority. It's on your word that I strive to build my life. A foundation that will lead to communion between me and my husband or wife, or me and my children, me and my family, me and my co-workers, me and my country. But the price of communion is the cross. If you want to have communion, you will always have sacrifice. Before you receive Holy Communion, there's the Holy Sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed His life so you and I could have communion with God. So for there to be communion, there has to be sacrifice. Now, where are the sacrifices here? The sacrifices are, you and I all have orientations toward things or actions that do not align with God's plan. Blown by someone when I shouldn't be in the, in the car. Saying something that I want to say about somebody that I know I shouldn't. Eating that extra cookie when I know I shouldn't. Texting during Mass when I know I shouldn't. There's a lot of things we're oriented toward, naturally inclined toward, 
that don't serve the purpose of bringing communion to me and my human family. So all of us struggled with orientations, inclinations toward things that don't serve the purpose of bringing about communion. So we, you know, some might argue, well, what about those born with maybe a homosexual tendency or desire? You know, they can make, we can make that argument, I guess people can make that argument. Whatever orientation it is that you have, it doesn't really matter. What matters is how you direct your passions and desires. It's how you express your body and your thoughts and your actions. It's how you give yourself. You know, we all have orientations ordered toward this or that and, and things that are right and things that are wrong. Well, we've got to use our intellect and our will to reflect on and choose according to God's design and plan. And that's going to mean you've got to say no to some things. We all know this, but we need to be reminded of it all the time. We began the Mass with the sign of the cross because Christians don't live for themselves. If I could make up all the rules, I would never suffer. In a sense that I would always get what I want. But I'll never grow in love, in obedience to the One who made me and the One who waits for me to reward me for living a life of love and communion. So I just encourage you all to ponder these Scripture readings today. There's a lot there for us to chew on about God's plan and design for us. What are the inclinations that you have that don't serve to bring about communion? Pornography. Drinking. What is it? Drugs. What inclinations do you have? Maybe you like to gossip a lot. You know, what do you struggle with? What are you inclined to do that doesn't foster communion. You have to die to it. There's no way there will be communion and healing in our country if we don't individually learn to direct our passions and desires toward truth. And again, a whole other homily, which... When fertility becomes a pre-existing condition or when fertility becomes a disease, and the whole contraceptive arguments, that's because it's promoting do what you want, when you want, how you want. That's causing divisions everywhere, destroying marriages and families everywhere. God's saying, live the sacrifice of love for your spouse. Learn to order your passions in truth. And that's not easy for any of us. That's why we have a church and a family to come together, sit at the altar, and participate in the Mass to get the strength we need to love. So let's pray for each other as we journey as Christians. If we're Christians, it, may, it, it means we put God's Word above ours. God's Word is more important than me, even if I don't always understand it. So God, help us to live Your Word not condemn each other, not beat each other into the ground, but to invite each other to communion, to understand each other, but to not just throw God's Word out and say, oh, it's old-fashioned, it's out of date, let's do what we want. 
That's not going to work in any home when mom and dad say do this. If the kids are like, ah, whatever, we're doing what we want. If you're going to live under this house, you live under these rules so that there can be order and communion in the house. So let's pray for each other as we go through the week. Meditate upon God's Word. Let God's Word challenge you. Let God's Word call you to communion. Let God's Word heal you. Empower you. Deliver you. We all have problems. We all will. But you can stay with this family or you can go. And if you go, there's nowhere to go but down. Let's lift each other up. Let's love each other. Let's challenge each other. Let's move in the direction God has designed and ordered for us to move.